Hello, heroes, and welcome to another exciting episode of One Shot. I'm James D'Amato, your host and game master. Heroes, this week we are finishing up our adventure with The Price of Coal. I'm happy to report The Price of Coal Kickstarter was successful, and I want to congratulate everyone who backed it on getting a great game. Before we get to the show, I want to announce that One Shot is going to be matching donations for the IGDN Diversity Sponsorship for 2021. The IGDN Diversity Sponsorship provides financial and community support for designers from all kinds of backgrounds. So many luminaries have used the resources and connections from this sponsorship to help launch careers and make some really exciting games. And we'd like to ask you, our One Shot listeners, to help more people get that. So OneShot is going to be matching the next $1,000 of donations to the 2021 campaign for the IGDN sponsorship. All you have to do is go to fundly.com slash 2021-IGDN-diversity-sponsorship or follow the link in our show notes. OneShot is going to match up to $1,000 and I would love to see us hit that this week. Thanks, heroes. And with all of that out of the way, let's get to the show. The winter to spring transition. It's springtime, everybody. Strikes are taking place throughout the neighboring states of Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Kentucky. Workers there are beginning to see a ray of hope that you haven't seen in a long time. How long until they reach West Virginia? How long will the miners take this treatment lying down? And the first card of spring goes to me, and oh god, this is definitely for Nathaniel. Black lung. Someone died of the miner's cough this week. There is too much coal dust in the air, even for those who've never set foot in the mine. How long until you, too, succumb? Can you last long enough to make sure your family survives? I think, I think this is Nathaniel... And Hannah, possibly. I think maybe, like, he can't afford to go see an actual doctor. There may not even be an actual doctor in the town anymore at this point. But he knows that Hannah has some degree of of medical knowledge or something possibly that could help him. Yeah, I think she goes around and she's been in the habit for a while of helping, you know, make people more comfortable when they're not well, even if she Mm -hmm. can't provide them with prescription or whatever it is so i feel like like he shows up at your house even before he goes to knock he's like racked by a fit of coughs Mm. and you actually hear that before the knock and then as he like starts to collect himself he knocks i want to hit pause real quick Mm -hmm. black lung is not a infectious it's, it's coal dust it's... coating the inside of your lungs. Okay, okay, okay. Cool. I think Hannah hears him and opens the door right when he's about to move to knock. Mm-hmm. Nathaniel, are you... Come in. Um. Have a seat. You don't look very well. Yeah, you can hear, like, even when he stops coughing, his breath is sort of that rattling, wheezing sound. Mm -hmm. He tries to express himself that he's, he's, he's fine. I, I, I just, I just, um, I, I need something so I can get through my next shift. And, like, you know that he knows that he's lying to himself. Because he's lying to himself. 
but that is that is how he expresses it. Okay, I have more black lung questions first. Mm-hmm. Specifically, so we understand that it's coal literally inside of your lungs. Is this something that, I mean, you just get it over time being in a mine and it's there's nothing for it. There's no help for it. It's really just... Pretty much. Yeah, it is. Yeah. You can alleviate the symptoms in a limited way, like you could do with any like cough medicine expectorant. Right. But, um, there's a limited amount it can do and a limited amount of time it can buy you. Got it. Hannah kind of fusses uh, in in the way she does when she is trying to make someone a little bit more comfortable. She she oh. finds the appropriate medicines and things that will kind of ease the pain that Nathaniel's feeling and then you know finally kind of pours him a glass of water and sets it down in front of him and then very slowly sits in a chair across from him and and has a very sort of wistful concerned expression Nate is your mother going to be taken care of there's there's enough people in this town who've relied on her and she damn well better be able to rely on them but I'm afraid. It will make things easier if you could be sure. I'm happy to visit her as needed, but um, I don't uh, think we should not be much, under but any I've... illusions that she she's going to need a little bit of help. And I've, I've... I've tried to lay a little bit by, just a little bit of extra that I've been able to put away. Um, it's it's not a lot. Um, I I just I don't know who to ask for help. I don't know how to ask for help. <coughs> she smiles, sort of a pained kind of smile. the The thing that she's saying, sort of dancing around, is the. He's he's not Yeah. He's not long for this world. <laughs> Correct, yeah. I think she takes his hand in hers. It, it, it's it's a it's an intimate gesture, but one of friendship. It, it, very much just like Hey bud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he, he sort of, he takes another sort of, like, deep, rattling breath, and he's like, how much longer do I have? Be honest with me. I need to know. These things tend to escalate unpredictably. Um, but you're a hard worker, and you've pulled quite a few shifts in your time. Um, a few days? Weeks? I would find provisions now. I understand, ma'am. Thank you for the for the medicine. Uh, and he sort of like pushes himself out of the chair, and you can see that he's like easily winded at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, like standing up seems to take a lot out of him. And I feel like we we see him leave the Parsons York household. He's walking home. We see him walk past the church, stop like he's about to go in, 
but then just keeps walking. Mm. (laughs) 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 All right. Well, James, our next card is over to you. Uh, All right. Great. What is it? (laughs) It'll get better. It's got to, right? That's what we've been telling ourselves since the fall. (laughs) These coal companies still exist, many of them. Yes. The Pinkertons still exist. Pinkertons do still exist. Indeed, they do. So, listeners, I really want to focus on before we move on don't get sad, get Get angry for these people. Let this radicalize you rather than lead you to despair, as the saying goes. All right, what, 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 we, what we got? What is it? Hit me, coach. Mine shaft four has collapsed. For weeks, many of the miners had predicted that this would happen. No one's quite sure how many folks were down there when it happened, but God knows it's too many. How will you search for survivors when the company wants you to return to work immediately? And I'm going to say that this is going to be our last card of spring, just for the sake of time. Yeah, this is, this has got to be like, I think John, Lester, I don't know if Andre's in this one. Maybe this is just a John and Lester thing. I, I think these are two men like in a room with drink between them silently staring because they know they need to do something desperate they have been talking about shaft four like well i mean lester saw the problem shaft four months before everybody else then everybody knew about the problems with shaft four i think john took it on to himself because like lester you know, did did what advocacy he could, but he's been ignored so often that it's easy for that slip by. John went to Calvin. John went to Calvin, Calvin and laid it out, laid it out. This is the issue. This is what we need to fix it. Otherwise, this problem is inevitable. And not only that, Shaft Four's the start. The like. Six is not going to be long after this. So we've got to do something now. And Calvin, Calvin is like, of course, you know, we'll take care of it. And now we're here. I told you he wasn't shit to begin with. I don't know. I like the both, both, we've got to be thinking really dark thoughts right now. And I know John's thoughts like tend toward the radical. Mm hmm. I know Lester right now is not only trying to figure out how to prevent this from happening again, he's trying to figure out how to encourage the men to keep going in case there's no other way but to go back to work. He's trying to figure out how to, because he he knows already John is about to come at him with some extreme shit. So he, he's trying to figure out how to either talk John down or figure a way to make it work. He's He's got so many, his mind is just being pulled in so many different ways right now. So he's jumping, f- not from topic to topic, but he'll say something and then stay quiet 
and then say something again that has to do not exactly with what he was saying before, but still in that same grouping. And he's like, his brain is just firing off between thoughts and verbalizing those thoughts. If somebody could get could read his mind and hear, hear what he's saying, they would be able to follow it completely. But since, you know, you can't, then you're kind of loosely on this trail with uh, Lester as they're sitting there talking. In that stream of consciousness, like John has been uncharacteristically silent because uh, his mind keeps swirling around the same thought. They're not dead yet. They tell us to go back to work. That's still going to be true. Until it's not. Hey, I just had a thought. I think one of the miners that's trapped is Andre. Oh, God, of course. Oh. It was going to be either Andre or Kit, oh. and I was just waiting to see which of us was going to pull that card. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Alex and I That's, are like right there. <laughs> whoever, whoever went first, drastically yeah. changes the situation. John, um, you put me in this situation. You got me up here speaking to all these people, leading this goddamn union. So you gonna help me figure this out tonight? John nods. I don't speak sign language, so I'm gonna need you to use words too. Someone has to do what they won't let us do. I... I talk to them about volunteers. Volunteers. All we would need to do is travel to the site. And they denied that. His time pulling out that coal is worth more than people coming in outside of their shifts to search. I mean, John, you already know what we're going to have to do. It's just all we're waiting on now is one of us to say it. So you going to make me say it, John, or you going to say it? If I say it, it doesn't mean anything. I've been saying it for months. Where are they having this conversation? This has got to be like John's kitchen. I like I can't. This can't be anywhere public. Public, yeah, no. Look, we can handle it one of two ways, John. We can either just say to hell with it. Bet it all, strike until we, we clear out for and see who's alive. Um, I could pitch it in a way to, I mean, I can, I can try and pitch it in a way to, to assure them in the long run it's more workforce or talking to them in some way that, that makes them feel like they're getting the better end of the deal. 
but when it all comes down to it either they're going to agree and we figure it out or they're going to tell us no and at that point we're just going to do it anyway um the other way which is going to take more time and possibly lose more in the long run is we can get us get us get a schedule started and those that ain't working if they agree because i don't want to force any man to give his life up that's that's main one of the main reasons i'm here is we get the ones that want to volunteer to sign up for shifts on their time off and then we just have one of us lead them down there lead them down there and get to working John pounds his fists on the table and grabs his head. Gonna end up in those graves either way. We don't have time. We can't wait. If they wanted us to do this in a way that wouldn't inconvenience them, they should have said yes earlier. They should have they should have listened to you when the problem started. Boy, if I had a nipple. Anytime somebody should have listened to me when I called some shit out way before it went wrong. I own this town. There is another option. They don't listen to us. We ask them to stop and do a real search. We close a shaft. Mm-hmm. We've been saying it. Six is about to go. I don't see any reason that six should go with people still in it. So you saying you want to purposefully drop six? They don't listen. We drop six. And then we take them out. They need us right now. If we push in and refuse to listen... They're going to have their thugs come around and they're going to put a few people down. If we drop six, they're going to want to put people down. They're going to want to look for who did it. But they can't afford to, really. Especially, especially with the casualties that already came out of four. They're going to have to start listening. If I may, Mm -hmm. that is actually the most pristine possible segue to our summer transition. Great, great. Like (laughs) almost almost word for word here. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) The West Virginian mine workers have declared a strike and tensions are boiling over. The mine operators are refusing to budge on even your most basic demands. You can't keep this up forever. Now is the time to make it clear to them that you're never going back to the way things were. Well, John. (laughs) (laughs) So how do we want to say that that happened if we did? If I may. Mm -hmm. This conversation we left off on, I talked John out of blowing six. And we went and gave the, the the management one last, I went up and gave the management one last chance to allow us 
time to dig for the, the, the ones that were trapped and, you know, tried to spin it in every way to make it beneficial to them. They disagreed and, you know, pretty much just shut it down immediately. And so after that, we, because we usually have like a, a, a meeting before every shift. Sure where uh you know we discuss areas to avoid what's you know uh safety briefs all sorts of stuff like that and at the end of the meeting i brought up that we are going to start digging for those in in four and anybody that wishes to help is more than welcome more than uh you know we'd love to have them there if they don't want to then you know they get on with their lives just make sure to avoid these areas and pretty much just keep the mouth shut. It started out, I think the first couple days, it was just John and myself digging. I, you know, I was digging cause I, you know, I, I've, I've worked, I've bled, I've sweat, I've broken bread with these people. They are family first and foremost. And so I can't just, if there's if there's a chance one of them are still alive, I can't sit back and let it happen. And I know John's main reason <laughs> for uh, digging. <laughs> uh, at the end of the second day, Kit joins you. Yeah. Oh yeah. So then, yeah, we start from there and it gets, you know, everybody starts becoming inspired and, and joining in. And after, you know, after a while, it, it gets to a point where the the productivity in the mines has dropped gradually because we're just constantly focused on this effort i want to say we finally about a weekend we find someone but it's not andre mm -hmm. but we find someone who's like barely barely alive and that is what kicks it off to the rest of them to say oh crap somebody's still here so then you know it causes a lot of them and then that's when they bring pinkertons mm -hmm. back into town and they bring the pinkertons back into town saying no y'all need to get back to work or else and just one little spark somebody goes and assaults or tries to assault eliza as she's walking home because you know she's by herself mm -hmm. And one of the miners jumps in and it starts this massive brawl and it causes all of us to at that point decide, hey, they don't care about us as human beings, as people. So they need to learn that they need us to continue on. So we strike. I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it. All right. Whew. So our first card of summer goes to Alex. Cool. Martial law. <laughs> They've now, declared... who's Marshall? <laughs> <laughs> they have declared martial law in the region. The military is being brought in to enforce curfew and prevent gathering, arresting those who defy them. Your rights mean nothing here now if they ever did before. Why are they doing this? I have a couple questions. Did Andre make it out of the mine or not? Um... Palomi, do you want to die? <laughs> <laughs> In the game. <laughs> in the game. Uh, I, I'm kind of on the fence. I, I don't know what would be more dramatic. Um, and I want to do the most dramatic <laughs> thing. <sighs> How about he makes it out, is alive, 
but is severely disabled. He can't work. Yeah. yeah. And he's not a sculptor. just that, but like maybe, maybe his. Uh, I don't want to get maybe too like, into the details, but sure. it's his hands. Like yeah, yeah. Like something he can. They still function, just not the way. And not they only should can he never work him. again, <laughs> but now he has all the time in the world, and he can't sculpt. He can't sculpt. God. Oh, that's devastating. Um, I, well, I wanted, or, or he could have fallen through a portal to the dinosaur. <laughs> yeah, and then he's just having a fun adventure there. Yeah, John Leguizamo is going to show up soon. Incredible. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I was curious Ugh. because if Andre had died or not been found, um, because he's in the dinosaur dimension, I was going to suggest that perhaps Viola had moved in with the Parsons York household because of the kindness, like Kit being one of the few connections mm-hmm. that she had in the community that was like not fraught with weirdness. I think she's going to have to anyway. So my question, I guess, is, yeah, well, I mean, that still happens, but I don't know where Andre fits in that situation now. I mean, maybe they both do. And like, it's a matter of Kit figuring out, like, how long can I keep eviction off the table and like out of the cards? So, Yeah. I I find that really interesting because Kit is because of Kit's relationship yeah. with Andre like that that connection. Yeah. I think that's what's happening. I think that's the current situation, and I think that it's made Kit's life a living hell. God. You know, I mean, it was bad enough to spend all of those extra hours on the excavation with sort of the slow simmering realization of why John was doing this. And then beyond that to now be taking care of two other people, one of whom is Andre, who is no longer not working, which is a thing that I am obviously devastated by, but can't help but be a little bit resentful of. And now, you know, I'm sure that there are days when John comes by just to check on him. And those days are hard. Mm. But I think today, one of the things that's really causing problems is that, you know, Hannah has her work and one of our younger sisters, uh, she has some laundry work that she takes in, some mending um, and some washing here. And Viola has her work. But with all of the Pinkertons in town, the amount of work that I am comfortable with my sisters doing out of the house is becoming less and less. And the decisions that I have to make between supporting these extra lives and putting people that I love who are in my family that I am responsible for directly in a situation that I know is terrible for them is not a thing that I can stomach lightly. Um, And one of the, I think one of the interesting things about the situation that Kit is in is being someone who is both acutely aware of and like, forever watchful for the kinds of targeted harassment that young women might receive on the street while also being somebody who avoids them. You know, it's never far from my notice. I notice it in a way that a lot of men wouldn't, but it's also not something that I am expected to have a sympathetic viewpoint on. And balancing that is an awkward thing. And it's a thing that causes me so much turmoil in my mind. I think that Kit is probably a person very much on the verge of collapse. I'm not sure what the uh, tripwire moment is. I mean, this is our summer card, right? We're in summer now. We are in the summer. And I think 
We are very close yeah, to the end. Yeah, I think that uh, summer is one of those times when Kit takes on additional morning shifts, doing a little bit of work in the in the fields just out of town. There's a group of, of people who, in the summer when seasonal work is available, can go and do a, an early shift, you know, picking vegetables and tending fields, and then come back and wash off and get back into the mines in the afternoon. And Kit's been doing that, and Kit's been not sleeping, and you know, the past year has been hard, and I think that their body is breaking down. And uh, it's one of those days when Kit is coming back from the morning shift and getting ready to go to the evening shift, and uh, I think is maybe walking through town and sees somebody, I don't know if we want it to be Hannah or one of our other sisters or Viola or whatever, whoever wants to can jump in, but I think being harassed by one of these Pinkertons. Hey heroes, it's James, your Game Master, and welcome to the mid-roll. Heroes, I want to remind everyone that we are currently matching donations to the IGDN 2021 Diversity Sponsorship. It's a great program, it supports great people, and I would love to see you join us in supporting it. You can head over to their fundraising page by following the link in our show notes, and if you do it now, we'll be matching your donations. I want to thank all one-shot heroes who voted in the 2021 Any Awards. Thanks to your support, Asians Represent took home the Gold Any for Best RPG Podcast for the second year in a row. A huge congratulations to Daniel, Agatha, and the whole Asians Represent team for everything that they've achieved in podcasting, video streaming, and for our community. Before we get back to the show, I want to take a quick moment and thank some of our backers on Patreon. Charlotte Hassel, thank you so much. Lou Hogan. Thank you. Afterak, thank you so much. Dan McKinley, thank you. Tito, thank you so much. Will Roper, thank you very much. Astrid Grensdorfer, thank you so much. Axel, thank you very much. Connell Bjorkstrand, thank you. Joseph Solway, thank you so much. Joshua Dunkley, thank you. Jonah Oxenhandler, thank you so much. Evan Wright, thank you. Matt Calcote, thank you very much. Ben Bizogno, thank you. Hannah, Hannah Maurer, thank you. Justnia Koldniak, thank you so much. Maya Goldman, thank you. Tony, thank you so much. And Tim Davis, thank you. Thanks again to everyone who supports us on Patreon. We wouldn't be able to make this show without you. If you'd like to hear your name on this list of luminaries, along with access to some great bonus content, be sure to head over to patreon.com slash one-shot podcast and join us as a backer. Now, with all of that out of the way, let's get back to the show. Honestly, I see that tripwire moment being something. I mean, this is Hannah. Yeah, like you're right. Hannah, who, for all of the difficult times over the past years, has been at rock, and Hannah, who has done nothing for this community that she resents and wants to leave more than just keep them alive when there was no one else that could or would. Hannah, who's never caused trouble for anyone a day in her life except herself, and that's too much. 
It's too much. Yeah. So I don't know if if um, if you want to set the stakes of what that what that interaction looks like. I don't want to you know just throw Pinkerton violence at you, but. Yeah, no, I I think she is used to making rounds mm -hmm. on certain days during the week. You know, whether it's going to someone's home, I think it starts now with her kind of checking in on Andre, um, cleaning whatever needs to be cleaned, moving to across the street, mm -hmm. then down the street, and, and she's probably headed back home now. Like, it's it's maybe the one interaction that these siblings are going to have mm -hmm. today. And I think as she's moving, she's a smart lady. She sees the Pinkertons. She sees soldiers, you know, on one end of the street. Mm -hmm. She'll cross over to the other side, but that's not going to stop them from catcalling her yeah. or bothering her. And, and she's a stoic woman. She's capable of ignoring it. But I think, again, it's that, it's that sibling thing of micro expressions and reading yeah. them and clocking them and understanding that Kit sees Hannah and knows it's it's not that she's uncomfortable. She doesn't feel safe in this yeah. moment. And I think that Kit doesn't even think about what they're doing before they run over and are grabbing this Pinkerton by the collar of his shirt and shoving him back as hard as they can against a wall. I think things escalate, like, very quickly in sort of that dreamlike way. It's a match on dry tinder. Yeah. It, it shocks Hannah, too. I think, I don't know how, I also don't want to throw Pinkerton violence no, at you. No, you're fine, go for it. I mean, I think this is, <laughs> realistically, until whatever epilogue may come, this is Kit's last scene. So if there is an epilogue, there's an epilogue. But yeah. if there's not, there's not. I think it it ends with, you know, there's this moment of like, what is happening? Mm -hmm. Where Hannah kind of drops whatever she's carrying as Kit bears down on this yeah. Pinkerton. I feel like Kit gets ganged up on very quickly. And Hannah very distressedly basically runs to go find someone to help. Because there's nothing she feels she can physically do. And I'll leave it up to you how that kind of resolves. I don't think there's much that help can do by the time they get back. Yeah. I mean, I think that... For the love of God. I, I like, this, this aches, but I don't think there's an end to this situation that results in Kit walking away from it. Um, because I think if Kit leaves this situation, oh. like they're not going to be in a position to go to work the next day and they know that and that's worse than mm -hmm. death because living with the the guilt and the weight of that on their shoulders is not something that kit can do any longer than they have done i think that kit shoves this pinkerton against the wall and pulls back and immediately throws a punch and there aren't even words exchanged in this brawl and i think that hannah yeah runs because all she can do is run but I think it's really too late to matter there are too many of them and Kit is already you know exhausted and already malnourished and um, I think probably already has a few bruised and cracked ribs and it does not take long to you know 
unfortunately, mm-hmm. for for this to sort of be the the last hours of Kit Parsons, I think it's it's not pretty, but yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, there hasn't been a scene with Lester. That's true. <laughs> I'm. I mean, are you the first person that uh, Hannah finds? Yeah. I think so. I think you're the only person that she could, like, that she could go to in this moment. Who else is she gonna ask for help? Yeah. So then, uh, Lester, I mean, without, without, without missing a beat, just yeah. hauls ass. Because, because, you know, he would never admit it to Kit. He would never mm-hmm. say it to anyone else. But that's, you know, unofficially officially his kid and you know he's looked after him for so long and you know the the after you know Uh figuring out kid's secret you know kid has definitely uh grown closer and trusted uh lester so they've they've developed a bond and now you know it's it's pretty much Somebody coming to you and saying, hey, your kid yeah. is being beat to death. Yeah. There is no thinking. There is no conversing. It's just he is using every bit of matter in the universe to move himself from where he is to where they are as quick as possible. Yeah. So I don't know what he walks up on, or I guess approaches as he's running. I think that something probably and it's it's with great delicacy that I approach this moment but it matters to me and I would like to have it is that um, I think the one grace that Lester can grant in this situation the one thing that he can't control is probably you can be sure that Kit dies as the person he wanted to be I think that there is a real danger in this situation of, in Kit's final moments, a discovery being made. And I would like very much for Lester to be the one that prevents that from happening. Yeah. Okay. So with that, I think the Pinkertons are are just beating Mm -hmm. Kit senseless. And one of them smoking a cigar and they're like, oh, let's 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 just let's let's leave them a mark from us and they go to like rip open kit's shirt and lester sees that and i don't want to get too graphic Mm -hmm. but just in a in a in a desperate moment to preserve that integrity as well as just a last ditch effort to save his boy he is going to just like run in there and just stab the Pinkerton that's going to rip off mm-hmm. the, the, the shirt and just, I mean, right in the throat, ending him there. And then from that point starts... Can we make it instead of a stab? I, 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 I okay. think to follow the story, like Lester, we've established, is just a, a broad and powerful man. I could easily mm-hmm. imagine him killing someone with like just a a, a blow without a weapon mm-hmm. okay okay because we could do that. i can imagine you killing this person and the pinkertons 
like, you know, get ready. And one of them has got to recognize you as a union rep and realize that they can't. Because if they kill you, everyone will be up in arms. They would know that. So then what, yeah, what he does is as he's running up on the scene, he sees this guy and just doesn't think, doesn't even Mm -hmm. slow down, keeps running and just kicks as hard as he can to get that guy off of Kit and in doing so kills him. Uh, yeah, I don't want it to be immediate. I feel like there's there's some poetry in crushing this Leaving man's windpipe. Wind so <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think that totally, and that's the way it happens. And I think these other Pinkertons, you know, again, are about to move on you, but they, uh, if, if they were to have heard stories about anyone, even if they haven't been here long, it would be you and they would recognize you yeah. and they would know yeah. that you're the one yeah. guy and it burns them up because there's nobody they would love to touch more than you oh, yeah. and they can't oh, yeah. and they plan to get even on that someday but for right now for this moment at least mm-hmm. they can't and I think they spit at your feet and scatter because you know there aren't many things that they could get in trouble for but being here when dead bodies are around, they would at least like the plausible deniability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think they, yeah. My only question is, is Kit still, I guess, conscious We can, we can have point? a moment, I think. If we just really mm-hmm. want to rip out the hearts of the listeners. <laughs> Don't we? Um, yeah, I think Kit is just barely conscious at this point, and it is only through some feral last bout of will that that is true but um i think just like coughing and you know just racking like spitting up blood everywhere lester isn't the most learned man but Mm -hmm. he understands what's going on and that this is just it's not reversible this is this is it so something that i don't think anyone in the town has ever seen um is all of a sudden i don't doesn't even know if kit can feel it or not but he leans close to kit and just tears are streaming down his face and he gets close enough to whisper because he doesn't know how much or, or how well kit can hear him now and he's like God, God damn it, boy. I told you you was going to be the death of me one of these days. I told you you were supposed to be the, the death of me one of these days. I'm going to get you home. Don't worry. I'm going to get you home. And he just scoops up Kit and just, I mean, doesn't doesn't notice anybody else around him, doesn't pay attention or acknowledge anyone, just holding Kit in his arms as as soft and as as caring as he can, while his face is just soaked, is just yeah. walking through town just on autopilot because he's not here right now he is not he wasn't ready to deal with this 
he wasn't ready to experience this. And he just walks over to Kit's house and I want to say kind of just kicks it in because he can't, he refuses to let go of Kit. And so he just kicks the door open and walks in and looks at, uh, I guess would Hannah have gone back home at that point, or would she just be following? I think, him? yeah, I think yeah. Hannah would have followed, and I think she clears the table. Yeah. Yeah. So then he just gently puts the body down, closes Kit's eyes, and. just stares for in just in an in undeterminable amount of time. I think that's a good place. And I think that mm-hmm. nobody could possibly have known this, but the last thing that Kit sees is the inside of his home oh. and the two people that probably love him more than anything in this world. Mm. <sighs> me too, yeah, me too. <laughs> And like I, I, I am used to crying when I play this game. It still hits mm-hmm. me every fucking time. <sighs> okay. Well, I have drawn the ordnance card. The oh, United perfect. States military is dropping <sighs> gas and explosive bombs for leftover from World War One on you. The government is treating you like traitors to your country for defending your human dignity. Despite everything you've sacrificed, they've won. In the aftermath of this horror, what happens to you and your family? Do you survive? Everyone may now narrate an epilogue for each of their characters. And we don't need to go in like a a set order for this. We can sort of do it as it makes sense and as things come to us. I know why they're dropping the ordinance, and it definitely has to do with the death of John Bailey. John Bailey took Kit's death. That was that was the leverage that John needed to convince Lester that it was time to drop not just Shaft Six, but every shaft. Occupy the mine and blow shafts until the demands are met. Which, that escalated quickly. John's little diary that he kept is never found. And the reason that it's never found is that he, in a last-ditch effort to continue closing up shafts, ran into one away from soldiers pouring in to stop this this extremely damaging resistance he he moved away from them to close just one more as his final act and he did end up in a grave no matter what I was gonna say I think Hannah I think the only thing that really kept her here was Kit and I think shortly after they were buried she probably gathered up at least her younger sisters if not 
both Andre and Viola as well. And we're just like, we'll take our chances in the wilderness and see where we can get to from there. Yeah, I think Viola, it, it does not take much to convince her that... I don't think it takes much to convince Andre either. I think in a way, the one thing that Kit would have hoped to achieve in their lifetime was getting Hannah out of town. Um, so in a way, it was maybe the best ending that they could have hoped yeah. for. I think Sarah survives. I do not think she ever remarries. And I think even as everyone she knows and loves is is leaving or dying, she cannot bring herself to leave this place. She has put everything into making this a better place and she cannot turn her back on it now. She spends a lot more time with the few people who stay and she makes sure that John's grave is always kept clean and clear and taken care of. Can I make an observation? Mm -hmm. I think that the death of John Bailey potentially historically gives Sarah an opportunity to become more powerful as an mm -hmm. organizer than she could ever have been during his life. Yeah, there is, there is, as horrible as it is, there is a degree of status that being a widow can confer as opposed to being married to a living man. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, being the widow of John Bailey is more powerful than being Sarah Bailey was ever going to be. Yeah. And it's a good thing that his diary was buried because Sarah could write a better one. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. And uh, I think Nathaniel, he, knowing he did not have very much time left at all, he did as much as he could to help John in his last stand and and went down with him, knowing that he was not going to survive much longer anyway. Ooh. I think with that, we'll go to Eliza, who, having lost her baby boy, for a while just refused to uh, talk to anyone. Or, or really take care of herself or anything. She took it extremely hard. And one of the only people that were able to get her out of that funk was Sarah because of everything, you know, having confided in her so long about losing children over and over again. She, something about it when she started talking to her came through to Eliza. And so as Sarah rose in, you know, power and influence, I think she would have kept, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think she would have, once Eliza came out of her funk, would have probably kept Eliza around as counsel or, you know, it just that, that 
that comfort. Yeah, I think Eliza and Sarah, if nothing else, take care of each other. Very possibly move in with each other, because at this point they're mm. two widowed women living alone. And and I think they're sort of the anchors of the town, of what's left. You know, because neither of them are giving up on this town anytime soon. Mm-hmm. And I think they just, a nice check and balance between one another. Yeah. Then we get Lester. Big ol' Lester. I want to say, because <clears throat> I, I think he he's only had a handful of, of real attachments in this town. And I want to say the majority of them have all died off. Him and Eliza had a understanding kind of had that relationship to where they're both pillars of the community so they they both worked in tandem to to ensure the best for you know their people you know he agreed with her that they should stay and that they should weather this storm and then rebuild from it but that was changed for him when Hannah, Andre, and Viola were trying to leave. And this was during the the like the, the brunt, like the worst part of the attacks. They were trying to leave and they were being targeted. And so in a last ditch effort, Lester managed to get them out in doing so gave his own life and before uh, before I guess before it all concluded and uh, they left he I don't want to say he like grabbed Hannah's arm but he kind of uh he kind of put a hand on her shoulder as she was leaving, you know, because they they were arguing back and forth and he finally convinced them to go and that he'd be right behind him. And as everybody else left, he put his hand on Hannah's shoulder and as she turned around, he just smiled. And as he turned back to face the door, the last thing she hears from him before she leaves is I'll tell that badass brother of yours hi for you. And that's it. That's the end of Lester. Well, George wishes that he had died during the attacks because then he could have done the work of dying for something he believed in. And instead, now he has to do the much, much harder work of living for something he believes in. And he does. Um, he, I think, did not at any point in his life foresee himself sticking around to become a pillar of the community. I don't think he ever thought of himself as that, and I don't think that he ever does for the rest of his life. But I think what he does realize is that while the work of rebuilding is happening, you need 
people who can lift heavy things. You need people who can, you know, make sure that kids get home safely. You need people who can be there and keep their head down and do the work that needs to be done in order to let the people who care about that work and the people who are better at it than you keep on doing it. And I think that that's what George does. I think he stays in town and I think he keeps his head down. And I think that he gives what he has to give to making sure that it gets to the next day, every day. And I think that he makes sure that Lester gets buried in that churchyard. And he makes sure that there is a proper headstone with his name carved on it so that nobody ever for a second forgets that the backbone of this town is up there. And I think that he lives a mostly quiet life, you know, doing what he can to uh, provide groceries for Eliza and Sarah when the occasion calls for it, stacking firewood on mornings without them asking for it. I think that he sees that as the most important work he can do for the town. Does anyone have anything they want to add for any of their characters, or is this a good place to step out of our characters, take some deep breaths, decompress so. a little bit? Yeah. I always, I always like to start the end game by saying thank you for sharing this with me. Uh, I know this is a game that asks a lot of emotional vulnerability from people. So I'm always so, so, so grateful when people are willing to, to come in and embrace it as much as you all have. So thank you all so much for sharing this with me. Yeah. I would like very much to thank you yeah. for writing this game. Yeah. I know that, um, you know, we had a lot of big feelings here today, everybody. Yeah. Thanks very much. And I know that... Uh, you are not necessarily yourself an Appalachian, but um, but I very much am. And this is a chapter of history and a place and a people and a culture that is very, very dear to me. And it's a story that does not get told often enough for how relevant it is today. Mm -hmm. And it's a history that not enough people know for how important it still is. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm just really grateful for the chance to be at this table and to help tell it. So thank you for making that happen. Yeah. Thanks everybody so much for for joining us for this. This was, you know, not not an easy time, not a lighthearted time, uh, but I definitely enjoyed sharing all this with you. And dear listener, I hope you enjoyed it as well. If you would like a really prescient contemplation on some of the challenges that we face in our society today through the lens of our forgotten history, uh, I believe this is airing during the Kickstarter for this project. So uh, please go out and, and support this project. Uh, you know, this is one of the one of a, a, the great examples of what role-playing games can accomplish and, and teach us. So with that, I will say to everyone, uh, thank you and hit stop on your recording. This episode of One Shot features music from the following artists. The Wanderer by Third Age. Fable 
by Stephen Keach. Swamp Jam by Dreamland. And Years Gone By by Brent Wood. This episode of One Shot was edited and sound designed by Tracy Barnett. You can find more of their work online, anywhere, at The Other Tracy. Well, heroes, that's it for One Shot this week, but don't worry. We'll be back next week with Wander Home. In the meantime, be sure to check out some of the other amazing gaming shows here on the One Shot Network. Some of them award-winning gaming shows. Like Asians Represent. Asians Represent celebrates Asian creators and diversity in the gaming community. Join hosts Agatha Chang and Daniel Kwan as they discuss gaming, genre, and representation with their guests and occasionally argue with each other about the sound of Agatha's beloved Airhorn app. As always, we end one shot with a call to action. Heroes, I'd like to urge you to go out and call your representatives. Calling a representative is a great way to directly advocate for an issue. It's a way that many elected officials keep a temperature of what their constituents are looking for, and because not many people do it, an individual caller can make a huge difference. When I call my representatives, I use a site called fivecalls.org. That's the number five, calls.org. There you can find a list of issue summaries from around the country, along with contact information for your reps and scripts to read while you're on the phone to help you get your message across. Calling is quick, and it can make a vital difference. Thanks, heroes. As always, a humble and hearty thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you want to help us in a non-monetary way, the best thing you can do is tell a friend. You can also leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Every five-star review we get helps new people find the show. For the latest one-shot news, be sure to follow me on Twitter at OneShotRPG. Look us up on Facebook at Facebook.com slash OneShotPod, or look for news on the site at OneShotPodcast.com. If you want to inquire about ad rates, live appearances, commissioning episodes, or you have a general question or comment for the show, contact us at GameMaster at OneShotPodcast.com. OneShot is a production of the OneShot Podcast Network, in association with Paracosm Press. Paracosm Press is a Chicago-based tabletop games publisher. You can find more information at P-A-R-A-C-O-S-M-Press.com. Finally, that music which is right now swelling up over my voice is Adventure by Be Your Own Pet, courtesy of Infinity Cat Records. See you next time, heroes. Heroes.